Hello, and welcome to Everybody's National Parks. Today, Brian talks to Dave Sharrow, hydrologist and natural resource manager at Zion National Park. Dave explains the geology and erosion that creates the spectacular scenic canyons we see there. I'm here with Dave Sharrow, hydrologist at Zion National Park. Dave, thanks for calling in. Thank you. Very pleased to speak with you. Uh, well, this is exciting because we've spoken to some of your colleagues about the flora and fauna of Zion National Park. We've talked to a colleague about the archaeology, the anthropology of the park, uh, all of which is important, all of which was, was uh, a great learning experience and enhances the visit to the park. But, uh, you know, you're the showstopper, right? What, what you represent is the showstopper because I, I think, and your colleagues agreed, when people think of Zion, they think of the dramatic vistas, the canyon, the cliffs, the rock, the dramatic colors. And so that's, uh, that's kind of your uh, ballywick as the hydrologist at Zion National Park. So first, can you describe what is a uh, hydrologist? And then uh, perhaps we should start at the beginning here. What is what are some of the geological history that, uh, that results in what we see when we're in the park? Well, Brian, a, a hydrologist is a person that studies uh, um, water and, and related um, topics. And that can include the stream flow, precipitation, um, floods. It can also include groundwater, even water rights and, and the policy aspects of, of water. Um, in my case, I'm also the physical resources uh, program manager. So I also do geology, um, paleontology, occasionally air quality, um, occasionally related aquatic uh, um, resources like fish and aquatic invertebrate. And great. Can you describe some of the uh, some of that geological history? I guess we'll just start at the beginning and, and we'll kind of advance through that. So so what is what has caused those dramatic the dramatic vistas we see when we're in the park and, and what do we see now? Well I can I can talk about the history of the geology, but I think we'll start with the primary thing that affects what people see when they show up at Zion. And that is primarily erosion. Hmm. Um, we have a very high rate of erosion occurring um, in the area. And, and because of that, we get the high cliffs and the deep canyons um, of Zion. Uh, we have a very convenient um, um, lava flow that flowed down one of the tributaries to the Virgin River. And it's been dated to almost exactly one million years ago. And that basalt that was deposited there was down the valley bottom, but now it forms a ridgeline because the basalt is much more erosion-resistant than the surrounding sandstones and shales mm -hmm. that it flowed through. And so the surrounding terrain has eroded away um, since that time. And now this basalt flow is a ridgeline that is 1,300 feet above the surrounding terrain. So that gives us a very good indication that we have an erosion rate over the last million years of 1,300 feet. Yeah, some simple is, math there, yeah. It's yeah, which is pretty much a screaming rate of erosion. Um, it's, it's the highest that I've been able to identify in North America. Uh, I suspect there are probably other areas of the world, tectonically active areas, areas near the Himalayas, that, that might be 
um, similar or even greater. But in North America, that is the highest rate I've identified by, by quite a bit. So let's pause on that. That's a, that's a great point, that this is at a rocket speed, and it is 1,300 feet over a million years. It gives you a sense of scale and time. You know, 1,300 feet is a, a, nicely, a nicely sized building, right? It's a, that's a tall building in a, in a downtown of a city somewhere. Uh, and that's a million years, and that is as fast as it goes. And I guess it gives you a sense of the scale and the time in, in, in what you're dealing with. It, it, is it also true? I, I read somewhere that uh, at some point, Zion will develop into another Grand Canyon uh, at the rate things are going. Uh, again, I think we won't be around for that, but uh, give enough time and scale and space that we'll, uh, you'll have another Grand Canyon. Is that true? Um. You know, I, I, boy, that's projecting way far ahead. <laughs> the one thing the Grand Canyon has that Zion doesn't, and, and I don't think ever will have, is, is that the Grand Canyon drains the whole Colorado River drainage, so big parts of several states. Yeah. Whereas the, the drainage into Zion is more local. Now, now because it's, eroding so quickly that drainage is expanding but there isn't a whole colorado river system up there to capture and and make part of that drainage system uh, part of the reason is because grand canyon already captured it right um they, they are related though the grand canyon and the virgin river and zion canyon because i don't think that Zion Canyon could begin forming in earnest, and the Virgin River system could begin forming in earnest until the Colorado River linked up through Grand Canyon around four and a half to five or six million years ago. There's quite quite extensive debate on that, uh, just when it linked up. But until it started carving through Grand Canyon and created that pathway to the sea, and the sea level base elevation for the drainages, uh, the Virgin River probably couldn't start eroding in earnest back into the the side of the Colorado Plateau. So it's interesting. So so it's interesting. The the Virgin River, as much as we love it, a little bit more of a humble river than the mighty Colorado. That said, it uh, one it's has more to, local. More local. They have a symbiote. They've had a symbiotic relationship. So uh, that's yes. it. So so. So just telescoping out from there, uh, you know, what, what is the Colorado Plateau? I think a visitor, when they have a sense of their space in the park, uh, what does the Colorado Plateau have to do with Zion National Park? Yeah, well, most people think of the Colorado Plateau when they see almost any photographs of the scenic west. Um, what you end up seeing are the red sandstones mm-hmm. and cliffs of, of the Colorado Plateau. And that's that's a region in North America, a province um, that's bounded on the east by the Rocky Mountains and on the north by the Wind River Range and the Yellowstone Volcanics. And then on the west, it's bounded by the Basin Range province. So a pretty clear-cut line from Salt Lake City at the Wasatch Front there down through the western third of Utah um, and down into Arizona. And then on the south, it's bounded by the Mogollon Rim 
um, escarpment that cuts across the center of Arizona. So it's a large area, um, and and it has an interesting geologic history, basically of its own. It it bobbed around near sea level for a very long period of time, from around 650 million years ago up to about 50 million years ago. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it was below sea level, and it was accumulating sediments in the form of limestones. Sometimes it was above sea level, and it was accumulating um, um, shales, uh, uh, stream deposits, uh, river sands, sometimes sand dunes. And it, it, over that very, very long period of time, it accumulated up to about 15,000 feet of sediments. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then... Shortly after, actually around the time, um, about 50 million years ago, it rose up and began, those sediments began eroding away. And what we see now in the area is, is that erosion process continuing to remove those layers, you know, one by one by one down through the stack. And, and then also in recent times, accelerated erosion uh, because the Colorado River hooks up through Grand Canyon and starts um, lowering the base level, so so increasing the slope and therefore the amount of energy that the water has to erode that that scenic rock. Mm-hmm. And and uh, another interesting thing about the Colorado Plateau is that when things happened geologically, big things like building the Rocky Mountains, like stretching the basin range out um, to, to the west, the Colorado Plateau didn't participate in those. It was somewhat influenced by them. Some of the rocks, there's some folds and some domes, some, some gentle wrinkles in the Colorado Plateau, but it wasn't busted up or deeply folded like other parts of the continent. Um, and that's why when we go out and, and look at it, we see basically horizontal beds of sedimentary rock eroded into the spectacular scenery. Right. And that's where you, when you get closer to the Rockies, you get the great contrast, right? The plateau, then the Rockies, and there's yeah, your contrast you right there. See more and more distortion as you, as you get into the Rocky Mountains. So that leads to, if a visitor w- w- were at Zion and they wanted to see in the canyon, this history in terms of uplift, erosion, well, well, I I would say the sediments being laid down at sea level several hundred million years ago, uplift, and then erosion, where would be a great spot, a great hike or a spot where they they can look at the canyon and read it like a book and see this history in front of them? Well, there are no bad spots to see it. <laughs> you can yeah. you can see it from pretty much any point in the canyon or around there because you're looking up at the the exposed rock faces. Um, the riverside walk people take that goes up to the narrows, mm-hmm. and where that's a place where you can see the river actually cutting against the sandstone walls. And that's where the river is, is slicing through the Navajo sandstone, and it's slicing downward very much faster than it's, slice, than it's carving outward. Right. When you get into the lower part of the canyon, um, you're below the Navajo sandstone into some softer sandstones and shales, and then things tend to widen a bit. 
and and we reach more of an equilibrium between that down cutting and, and the canyon widening. Mm-hmm. Um, an excellent place to see um, the canyon processes. Um, I like going up to Colop Terrace Road. Yeah. Um, in the central part of the canyon, and that's that's a, um, a paved road that leads out of the town of Virgin. Um, the reason it's dramatic is because when we talk about that lava flow and then the landscape eroding around it, the Co-op Terrace Road is built right up one of those lava flows. And as you climb up into the you know, scenic canyon country of Zion, what you're driving up is a ridgeline that is a basalt flow. It's more recent than the million-year-old basalt flow. It's on the order of 300,000 years old. Um, but you're driving up that and observing that the softer rock around the sides have eroded um, dramatically down on, on each side of the road. That's great. And I guess just like in the canyon or, or there in, in Kolob, uh, you are dropped in the middle of the geological event, so you're you're in a panoramic uh, geological event that that uh, that's active, right? If you're looking at the Virgin River, that is an active it's very geological active. event. There, there's nothing benign about it. It's it's happening, which is uh, it's hap- yeah happening. And and we have we have had um, the U.S. Geological Survey uh, scientists did uh, some a look at sediment transport in the North Fork and East Fork of the Virgin River and estimated that the river is transporting 800,000 to 1 million tons per year of sediment um, on average. Wow. But again, that, that's an astonishing um, amount. And uh, incidentally, or possibly coincidentally, but I hope it's because they're related, you can take that figure of how much sediment's being removed, apply it to the whole watershed above that point, and say what would be if you're taking that much sediment out of the system, what would be the rate of downcutting that's mm-hmm. occurring? And it's almost a dead-on match to that 1,300 feet per million years. Well, there it is. Um, rate. So, sort of a confirmation working from a different uh, different set of data. There's your QED, right? And yeah. uh, so, so is that a, is that consistent day in day out, or does the bulk of that sediment that's moving happen during something like a flash flood and a weather event, and that just yeah, that, that's just a big number for, and it's a lumpy number for uh, for the year when you have these events. Yeah, it's extremely inconsistent. Yeah, in that most days when people go up there and the river is low. It's what we call base flow. It's if there hasn't been a storm or there's not snow melt runoff occurring that day uh, and the river's just at base flow, it's transporting a very, very small amount of sediment downstream. And almost all of that big sediment transport occurs during the big flood events. Yeah. Um, So just a few days a year um, um, make up that large amount of transport. And, and actually, it's quite variable year to year. If we have a fairly dry year, no big spring runoff, maybe a few of our summer floods um, and thunderstorms, then, then the amount of the annual transport will be substantially smaller. Mm-hmm. 
And then if we have a year where we have a big spring runoff um, or a big winter flood or lots of summer floods, then the number can be very much larger. So I wanted to just chase back because you said something of interest before. When uh, the area that is now Zion was at sea level, did you mean that it was underwater, it was part of an ancient sea at some level? And therefore, uh, could we expect to find a marine type of fossils that would be uh, being exposed as erosion continues? Well, at some point in time, it was. Um, the, the bottommost layer that we see around Zion is the Kaibab limestone. Mm-hmm. And that's a well-known layer. Um, it's, it's a marine, shallow marine limestone. It's also the rim of Grand Canyon. So if you start looking at that 15,000-foot-high stack of sedimentary rock, the oldest and lowest are in Grand Canyon, probably the bottom one-third, mm-hmm. capped by the Kaibab limestone. And then the middle one-third is the area around Zion. So we build up from that limestone. And up from there, most of the rocks are stream deposits, um, either coastal or inland um, deposits that would be mudflats, um, sandy bedded streams, and, and those, those kind of sources. And then you get to the Navajo sandstone, which is almost 2,000 feet thick mm-hmm. uh, in Zion Canyon, and that's all sand dunes of uh, windblown sand that has come in um, from the north and has been deposited in that area. And it's, it's, it for, forms the, you know, the, the high spectacular cliffs in Zion. So does that lead to a rich fossil environment or, uh, or, or both, right? So the, the sand dunes maybe not so much, but the, the layers that are below that. And, uh, and if someone wanted to take a look at fossils, could, is there a good spot in Zion, either in the front country or the back country, where they could, uh, they could take a look at that? Well, a couple of things. Um, um, Zion, the, the environments that we had were fair for preserving fossils. Um, but the Navajo sandstone itself was not very, is not very fossil rich. Um, I suspect that that's because not very many things live there. Mm-hmm. Um, sand dunes are not biologically productive. So the the density of animals would have been very small. And also, it's a very dry environment. And typically, to preserve something like a carcass and bones, um, you need that carcass to get buried in anaerobic sediments, so buried in a low-oxygen environment so it doesn't decay. Mm -hmm. And... um, that that doesn't happen in a sand dune environment. Right. So we don't see very much. We we have some in some of the other layers. Have have some bones, some petrified wood. Um, we have mostly tracks, are what we see. And there's a nice big slab of rock up in the left fork of North Creek. Uh, people hiking a, a popular hiking sign called the Subway. Yeah, um, get to walk right by this slab that has uh, oh a hundred or hundred and fifty 
tracks on it that's that's pretty spectacular. Um, but for the most part, we don't we don't have a nice example of here's a rock with tracks on it or other fossils. Um, and 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 our problem or our difficulty in presenting that is that most of our nice flat beds that used to be a beach or a muddy stream bank or something where, where critters could leave tracks um, are now buried in the plateau and they're being exposed by erosion edgewise. Mm. The end is being sliced off rather than it being worn down to the surface. So typically what happens is a block with some uh, tracks on it will erode out of the cliff and fall down, you know, just a few feet down the slope and, and, and sit there and, and erosion will slowly wear it away. And then another block will fall off with a track or two. So we have a lot of scattered sites with a track here, a track there. And most of them are very difficult to get to. They're not right on the trails or right available. So, so if people are looking for, um, a paleontological experience or site to visit, we recommend that they go to the um, dinosaur track site at Johnson Farm that's over in St. George, where they've taken some of these very same beds of Moanabi formation, and they've been exposed horizontally, where you can see long trackways and, and spectacularly preserved um, fossil tracks um, over there. And then also over at the Grand Staircase Escalante uh, National Monument, um, they have a visitor center in a little town called Badwater that's devoted entirely to paleontological um, studies. And neither of those are far at all from science. So if you're if not you're, far when you're thinking of, you know, plateau country distances. Right, right. You can move pretty fast, right? Um, so, yeah. We, we've established, Dave, that it is a, a active geological active geological events are happening. Uh, it's clear just from our time there that because uh, the awareness was out there that flash floods happen uh, seasonally, but they happen often, and you have to be aware. What, what about other events? Are there rock falls? Are there earthquakes that happen frequently or infrequently in the park? They um, well. As you might imagine, when we're eroding away, like at the rate we are, that rock falls happen constantly. Mm. Um, they, um, you can see that for people who work there um, and travel the roads through the park. Every day you go by, you, you'll see a new rock. You know, sometimes out in the road a little bit, sometimes just on the road shoulder. But they're they're falling down a lot, and and when it rains, um, we see more of them, and um, occasionally we have some big chunks come down, and if if they're just on the um, cliffs and slopes of the canyon, that doesn't matter. I mean, you know, you'll see a boom and a cloud of dust, or excuse me, hear a boom and see a cloud of dust, mm -hmm. and um, this natural erosion process is occurring. Um, we get concerned about it when it happens uh, on our roads um, or uh, on our buildings. Um, we have had one building that was built by the CCC back in the 30s, and it's our, our maintenance offices. And it had a history of some rockfall, rather spectacular um, rockfall 
back in the 1940s um, that smashed a, a dump truck right into the ground. No, no, a direct um, hit. A direct hit. Yeah. And and also struck the building. And, and then a very similar event happened um, about five or six years ago. And at that point, we said we, we can't have – now this has not just a one-time event kind of history, but a repeated event kind of history – we can't have people working in this building um, and exposed to that kind of risk. So we uh, had a rockfall barrier. Um, it's it's like a fence, but a much more high-tech and robust kind of uh, structure that's built to absorb the energy of rocks as they tumble down a slope. Mm-hmm. So we had one of those constructed on the upslope side of that building uh, to provide us some protection. Um, but, but one thing we have to realize in Zion Canyon, there's nowhere in Zion Canyon where the risk of rocks coming down is zero. Yeah. Um, that's just the nature of the place that, um, that there's always some risk. Now for most visitors, that risk is very, very tiny because they're only there for a few hours, maybe a few days. Um, and we're, we're talking about this geologic process is occurring, you know, every moment, but every moment in geologic time. Yeah. Yeah. So hopefully it's not occurring every moment in your time while you're there. Unless you're really unlucky, but that's the contrast, right? So when you think when a person like myself and, and I, we, I went with my high school buddies and. We think of Zion, we think of the stillness, we think of the quiet, we think of the peace, but actually in geological terms, it is a rocking and rolling active geological site, which is, uh, which is uh, a nice contrast and a nice thing to keep in, to keep in mind. Yes, it, it sure is. It sure is. And, and you can see that um, in you know, floods in particular that uh, occur very often. Um, and they, they occur often because that's the kind of climate we're in. We have summer thunderstorms that drop um, a large amount of precipitation in a small area. And then also because we have a lot of Zion that is exposed to what we call slick rock, where it's mm. exposed rock surface um, without soil or vegetation or not much soil or vegetation. So there's not much to absorb that water or slow it down. Right. And it runs off quickly and to, into the nearest drainage and, and becomes a flash flood. And, and that's a tremendous concern to us because we have a lot of people that like canyoneering. Yeah. And they like exploring those canyons. <clears throat> we have some of the nicest canyoneering, you know, sites in the world or canyons in the world for, for that activity. And even people who aren't interested in the, you know, you need to repel and, and, and do rock climbing kind of techniques, but just a casual walking experience in the Zion Narrows um, are, in a, are in a hazardous area. And, and we work very hard to try and educate people about the, the risks involved. And, and you know, and those vary day to day with the weather. Yeah, we we in a, in a previous podcast, uh, so we did the narrows hike up to Big Springs, and 
it uh, it occurred to all, and we you know we had a nice day and we had a great hike, but it occurred to us. It's pretty clear, especially when you're in some of those places like Wall Street, and uh, that it could get pretty gnarly pretty quick in a flash flood. So you you know you have to be aware of the weather and pay attention to signage and and any other Absolutely. warnings that you have, and just know that this is not necessarily a quick and easy walk in the woods. That is a uh, it's an arduous hike. We we had a great time, but uh, it is not just a yeah. a stroll in the woods and back in twenty minutes at all. So uh, just as it, long as you're it, aware of that and well equipped and head on a swivel, and uh, to your point, active geological event and an active uh, a flood flood event, uh, keep your keep your uh, keep things in that in perspective, yeah. should be okay. And and people have to put some thought into it, and. The difficult part is, is, is that your decision regarding your safety, most of that has to be done before you go. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, do I go today or not? Because once you're in the canyon, you're kind of committed. And you can't, see the, you can't see much of the sky. It's such a narrow canyon. So you can't really evaluate current weather conditions. Right. And, and, and the drainage, uh, the watershed, leading to that area is large enough that it could be raining really hard somewhere upstream and, and you'll be completely unaware of it. Yeah. So, um, yeah, it, it's, it's a tough thing for people to make that decision. You know, you're, you're having to forecast the weather and the weather is quite variable. Right. And whereas, you know, a day where I might be able to tolerate a 30% chance of showers, if I'm going on a picnic, um, if I'm in a slot canyon, 30%, you know, when, when the consequences are life and death, um, 30% might, might be too high right. and, and be, you'd be better to do another thing that day. Right. Right. And it's not going anywhere. So you can always go back another day and, uh, and try it again. Right. So that's the, that's the idea. It's, uh, uh it's always yep. going to be there available. The next question uh, I have for you, just to toggle a bit, is cottonwood trees. We've been reading about uh, what's been going on with some of the cottonwood trees, and we thought we'd ask you, uh, what is happening with the cottonwood tree? What are cottonwood trees, and what's happening with them in Zion? Okay. Well, the cottonwood trees, they're they're a big part of the scenery in the the floor of Zion Canyon. Um, They are river-dependent trees. Um, they're you know nice big tree. They are completely adapted to live on stream banks. Mm-hmm. Um, their whole life history is associated with the disturbance that um, that streams cause. So they they um, they need in order for their seeds to germinate. They need two things. One is they need the stream channel to move around and create some bare ground. And they need a flood to occur so that that bare ground is saturated when the seed falls on it. Right. And the cottonwood trees, their seed fall is beginning right now. As, as, the, um, as, as the spring flood in a snowmelt dominated system, which the North Fork of the Virgin is, um, when, when that spring snowmelt is starting to decline, that's when the seeds fall. And as the water slowly recedes, the seeds can land on that wet sand 
germinate and start growing. Mm-hmm. And, and cottonwood trees are completely intolerant of drying out. They have to keep some of the roots in saturated um, soil in order for them to survive. So that little growing root has to grow fast enough to keep up with that declining water level. Got it. And then they need one other thing to happen because we're, we're seeing in Zion Canyon after a nice wet spring like this spring, we should probably see many, many seedlings of cottonwood trees along the stream banks. Um, but very few of those will grow to maturity. Mm-hmm. And that's because they need two other things. One is they need to not be eaten by something. And then the other is that they need to get big enough and strong enough before the next flood comes by and washes them away. And and so that sort of leads into the, the history that we've been able to identify through um, um, through historic writings and then also through historic photographs of Zion Canyon. And, and Zion Canyon used to be a big, wide braided channel. The stream bed was very wide and very active. It moved around side to side. And, and it, when it, as it did that, what it would do is create a great place for cottonwood seedlings but not a good place for cottonwood trees to grow because it'd keep moving around. The next flood would come along and wash them wash away. Them out, yeah. Yeah. So what we see in the old photographs are this big wide channel and a few cottonwoods here and there and a few along the banks. And then what appears to have happened or our best understanding, and there's still some questions out there um, is around the 1930s or forties, two things happened. One is we channelized part of the river and we can find it. And, and the reason we channelize it is because a channel that's moving around all over the Canyon floor is not um, conducive to building things like lodges and roads <laughs> yeah. campgrounds. Yeah. So it was a kind of a necessity and, and it's the way we dealt with unruly stream channels in, in those days. So we channelized, straightened the channel, pushed it over to the west side of the valley and, and armored the banks to keep it there. And um, that allowed any cottonwood seedlings that were starting to grow to go ahead and grow. Um, the other thing that happened is that throughout the Virgin River Basin and, and other stream basins in the area, um, the stream morphology changed a bit. Instead of a wide braided channel, it, it, it shrunk down to a single thread channel that left a lot more room for riparian vegetation to grow along the stream. Mm-hmm. And that's been occurring throughout the Virgin River Basin. And that's probably the result of some change in climate from lots of more frequent big floods shifting to a regime of probably more frequent medium and small floods. Uh, uh, at least that's, that's our, our, our best guess right now. Um, and it's not a guess, but the best estimation of uh, explanation of what's going on. And so what happened in Zion Canyon is when we channelized it and the stream morphology changed, all these cottonwoods got to grow. And we get, have this whole valley floor, wall to wall, cottonwood canopy mm-hmm. which is gorgeous it is it's very park-like 
um, it really adds this green layer to the valley floor and, and um, is, is great scenery and very photogenic. Um, but now we're about eight years at later, and cottonwoods are not long-lived trees. They're very short-lived trees. Um, that's also in response to being a river, a river tree. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, why, why invest the, the uh, whatever it is, robustness and durability you need to grow for a thousand years when the next 100-year flood event is probably going to knock you down and wash you away. Right. Um, so, so they're adapted to that high disturbance environment. And so all of our trees are getting pretty darn old, and they're starting to die out. And because we've channelized the river and because we have an overabundance of deer um, that like to munch little cottonwood seedlings, mm-hmm. um, we're not seeing what we call is recruitment of, of, of new cottonwood trees into the population. Ah, uh, well, you're right. The, uh, the cottonwood trees, especially when you talk about park-like, if I'm remembering correctly, especially if you're in the south campground, uh, and depending on when your campsite is, you know, you can, you can have just, uh, you can just be surrounded by cottonwood trees. And it's a very, uh, very, we were in the other campground, we were in Watchmen, but, uh, it occurred to me that the South Campground, uh, if you can get one of those primo sites next to the river with those cottonwood trees, it just seemed just seemed lovely. What a what a great spot to have. Yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll have to let you know though that that the ones down there in Watchman and South Campground are planted. Um, ah. when, when, when we acquired that part, we I mean we the people and the national park system acquired that part of the canyon. Those were uh, agricultural fields. No, and no kidding. We acquired the water rights for irrigating those fields uh, along with the land. So those cottonwood trees are our crop. Um, <laughs> and that's what we irrigate with our um, irrigation water that's taken out of the river. Oh, I had no idea. I had no idea. Uh, well, well, look, Dave, I really appreciate, uh, really appreciate your time and the education. Again, when I think when most people think of Zion, they think of the dramatic vistas, and it's probably important, uh, I'm sure you would agree, probably important to have an idea of uh, what they're seeing, and uh, it probably makes it a much more uh, rich visit if you have an understanding of the scale and the time, and as we've talked about, the rapidity of what's happening in geological time, that you're in this active geological event is happening all around you. It's, uh, it's actually uh, literally spectacular, so that's a, uh, that's a great context to have, and I appreciate your sharing this with us. Well, I'm very pleased to. Thank you for listening to Everybody's National Parks. Please tell your friends, write a review, like us on Twitter and Facebook, and most of all, enjoy exploring the national parks with your family. Bye for now.